a Highline podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, got it. I got it. There was this bug. There's this bug on the rim of my glass. <laughs> and I was like terrified that it was going to get into the beer. Oh, no. That was rough, you guys. I got it and I didn't spill a drop and I killed the bug. My gosh. Okay. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. missed you both. I'm so glad we're recording today. Is this how you answer the phone? Because I really <laughs> no. hope it is. No, it's not. Do you want to hear how I answer the phone? Sure. Yeah, let's restart. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> ring, <clears throat> ring. Cody United Methodist Church. This is Pastor Emily. How may I help you? That wow. is good. That is good. That's good. Right before we started recording, Emily records at the church and her phone started ringing and then she came <laughs> back and she was like, the person hung up and I was really disappointed because I really wanted to talk to them. <laughs> she has no idea who was calling. Says the pastor and the podcaster. Yeah. Yes. Very good. I'm so professional when it comes to my recording voice or my phone answering voice that my sister forced me to record her voicemail box message. No way. Oh, nice. Here's the real question, Emily, is how similar is your sermon voice and your podcast voice? Oh, I, I don't know how to answer that because... Like some, I go back and watch myself, but I don't pay attention to how I sound. So I need to start doing that. I don't, okay. That's a great question. Fair enough. I expect a report next episode. Okay. I have a homework assignment. Love Amazing. It. Amazing. Um, my homework assignment to y'all is you need to report to me. What are you drinking today? Oh, easiest homework ever. I was so infatuated with this beer the first time around that Tyler sent it to us in our little sample pack that he gifted us. That I had him send me an entire additional six pack of this Aww. subtropic brew, this like, Aww. uh, this like hazy pineapple IPA. Oh my! It's this is a real challenger to my favorite Montana brewer, Jeremiah Johnson, and what they do because this subtropic brew from Findlay that one was really is good, so spectacular. Good. I mm-hmm. uh, obsessed, and I have it in a frosty mug today and it just it looks good it tastes good pure delight love it pure delight i am drinking two drinks today i have a shandy that's homemade which is just lemonade and beer and i'm using a i don't remember the name but it's just like a pale ale from kona brewing in hawaii and it's pretty good it's super hot here it's like 90 degrees which is very unusual for seattle and we've had uh, a record-breaking year in the last like 50 years for like most 90 degree days. So yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, enjoying the hot one today inside with a 
very summery drink. And I also have an iced coffee, Aeropress. It's 69 degrees here in Billings. I should just, I just wanted nice. to let you know. <laughs> yeah, it's 60 degrees here in Cody. So, mm, arguably nicer. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, so, in the last episode, for y'all who might be joining us for the first time, Josh was so kind enough to inform me that water only counts as a beverage if you put shit in it. So I went and put myself a nice little tiny slice of lime in my water. So that counts as a beverage. Okay. Delicious. So that's one. And a little mocktail. The council acknowledges your lime water. (laughs) I'm going to add it is the tiniest slice of lime that I could possibly cut up. Okay. No, that's fair. That is more than is in a LaCroix, though. That's how, mm-hmm. That is fair. It's that's more true. So, <laughs> that's true. So I think I, it counts. It counts. So I have that as well as, because it is a beautiful fall day here, I made a classic giant mug of hot chocolate. Whoa. Ooh, you're nice. getting back into the hot drinks. Absolutely. Mm-mm-mm. Dang Skippy I am. Uh, dang, dang Skippy, <laughs> as the kids say. Indeed. <laughs> that's what the cool kids say. Uh, Apparently. Say no one ever. So back back on track, y'all. Uh, our last episode sparked me to change the topic that I am to bring forth to the group today. Uh, thank I you love so much, it when Courtney. This I can't wait to hear what's going on. Right? I absolutely love it. And I'll say, like before coming to record, I was really excited about the topic I was going to bring up. I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be great. Like wait. I have my points laid out. I'm not gonna say what it is because I might bring it up at another time. Oh, so okay. Nope, no preview. Sorry. Fair enough. And then we started recording the episode where Courtney shared her voice memo. And I was like, well shit, I have to change my topic now because I'm inspired. Uh so our topic for today, drum roll please, is the idea of shame and humility. Oh, whoa. Okay. All right. And specifically, I guess I want to start with parts of the Bible that we see shame as basically like the front runner or the topic of. Ugh. And mm. how do we read that? And Josh, I think one of the things that you said in the last episode that sparked me to bring this topic forward was how shame really has no purpose. It does no good in regards to positive change or growth. And yet we see stories in the Bible where shame is basically the theme. And what do we do with that? How do we read that? And how do we read it in the sense of not bringing shame to the table and then using shame in the real world? Because I think oftentimes we may find ourselves or people may find themselves reading scripture and they're saying, see, see, I can do this because it's it's here in the Bible. And I think shame is a great example of that where we're so quick to put shame on individuals Mm. and they may not necessarily use it as it's rooted in scripture, but it is very blatantly pointed out in scripture where we do see shame as the topic or come to light throughout the story. And it can be just as equally brought out in our everyday life. So that is, and then Whoa. humility, humility being tied in with, is that the opposite or is there any type of correlation with humility and shame or where does humility fit in at all if it does? Wow. Well, if I may be a biblical literalist for a hot second, 
just a hot second. In Genesis, if we're going to look at like the Bible and the first Oh, I'm so glad you're doing this. Yes. Like the first place we see it right off the bat is Adam and Eve were ashamed. And it does not say that God shamed them. God did not say you should be ashamed of yourselves. They inherently felt shame without prompting. Like just by like being observed, they felt shame. Mm-hmm. And I think it is very, very easy to make an argument from the text that says that that was descriptive and not prescriptive. Mm. Like just even, even if like you lump that in with like the fall and the curse, however you make sense of that, I think it's very easy to see that there's, there's these negative consequences being laid out that aren't arguably meant to be but they are like the natural byproducts of how we feel like with a gut instinct or just like how things are like it's describing versus like saying this is how it should be and i would argue that that is exactly how we should think of shame whether you believe in biblical literalism or not Mm. that is the first example i can think of off the top of my head i can't think of another place where someone like very obviously felt shame Mm. Can you guys? I thought of Moses being ashamed of his stutter and like, oh yeah, okay, needing Aaron to like be kind of like the voice of that leadership, um, because he wasn't, I guess, confident enough, right? Kind of ashamed of his own like oratory skills or the way he spoke. My mind also went to the exact opposite sentiment of Paul saying like, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." Like I was just thinking of that. I had a t-shirt that said that and oh, on the front yeah, it said dude. this shirt is illegal in 52 countries. Hell yeah. Provocative. Dude. Yeah. And then on the back it just said that verse. Get it. For I'm not ashamed. Right. Philippians? Mm. I don't even remember where it's from. 413? Question mark? And it's not that one. No, I know it's not that's that for one. all for you, Christ. What else? Shame, Whatever. Shame, shame. <laughs> just, oh, here's, uh, here's a couple that I can think of. Okay. Um, woman at the well. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then let's see. I would argue the prodigal son on his return is ashamed of himself for like squandering all the money he was given. Yeah. And like yeah. having fed with the pigs, basically. Oh, here's a good one. Our good old boy, King David. Mm. Where does he feel shame? He's pretty proud of a lot of the things he does. Um, how about the fact that he impregnates, what's her name? Remember the story? Bathsheba? And what does he do because he feels ashamed? He kills Uriah on the front lines of the battle. <laughs> if that doesn't say shame, I don't know what does. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I also, when I think of King David, I also think of him like dancing unashamed as the Ark comes into the city and his wife, Michael, gets secondhand shame because you're like, oh my God, ah. you're embarrassing yourself. You're the king. You should be acting more mm. dignified. Mm-hmm. You know? Or there's the story of the hemorrhaging woman. Oh, yes. Who touches the robe? So there's all sorts of stories, right? Where shame is either prominent or we can see remnants of shame present. How much of that do you think arises intrinsically versus like is put on externally see that's what i want to know like if it is put on extreme like i i hope that's not the case but i also hope it's not the former either i don't know for me i am of the personality that usually when a feeling of shame arises in me 
it may be because somebody pointed out one of my faults or one of my shortcomings or something like that, but I feel like shame is what arises very quickly inside me because for me and my personality, like I am probably already aware of what this person is pointing out and really what the shame is doing is confirming a belief about myself that I've always had. Like I'm rarely, I rarely think I have a shame response when somebody points out something that either I'm confident in or like I know is untrue of me and they're just making bad assumptions about me. Whereas shame arises when they say like, Oh, uh, I see this, this, and this fault. And what that is doing is confirming like something that part of me has always believed about myself. And like, I've already identified about myself, but now I'm both embarrassed and like guilty and feeling shame for like having that confirmed by the outside world. So I guess for me, like it, shame usually feels like it is intrinsic somehow. Like it, it, it's like a confirmation of already existing negative beliefs about myself, which I feel like we would be remiss to not mention the, the wonderful person, uh, uh, Brene Brown and her research around shame and the way she talks about like guilt is what happens when, when you realize like I have done something bad and shame is what arises when you start to believe I am bad. Like it's an identity thing rather than like an action or behavior based thing. Where do you think pride comes in with shame? That's a hard one. That's an interesting one. Cause I usually hear like the way you set up this whole topic, Emily is like shame versus humility of like, are those the opposites? And I, I think I've usually heard that pride and humility are the opposites. Mm-hmm. I think shame and humility are often tied very closely together. Like I think of shame as like the negative perception of something versus humility being a more, in my opinion, a more healthy growth oriented view of mm. a negative wrongdoing. Like I think it's hard to feel both shame and humility at the same time, but also sometimes like, like the experience of feeling ashamed and feeling humbled is kind of synonymous. Mm, okay. I think of someone like not being proud of what they've done. Yeah. Unless humility is like the acceptance of, I guess, constructive criticism. Like, I don't feel like shame is constructive, but I feel like the acceptance of what is being pointed out through the experience of shame could lead to humility in the sense of like, I'm going to let go of like a prideful view of myself that I feel like is incongruous with what somebody just pointed out or what I believe about myself that is causing shame and letting go of shame leads to humility because you're kind of, you're recognizing that there is a shadow side. I like framing it in like humility is growth orientation. I like the way you said that, Josh. But also some people like humble brag their shame. <laughs> like oh. I think that yeah. shame is often like very destructive, but like some people are like proud of their shame sometimes. I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, I would call that total depravity, like holding on to that theology. Like mm. growing up in that kind of like reform circle, like very like hyper Calvinistic, like those, those people, I say, like I more want to acknowledge it as like I was part of that tribe once. So like we would almost take on the word like wretched or like I am a wretch from. Oh, yeah. Amazing Grace, oh, almost as a badge of honor, which is really weird and does a lot of like weird Paul saying things. I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah, it does a lot of weird things to your psyche to say like I am completely wretched and like I'm 
I'm half proud of that, but I'm also using that as like a way to showcase how humble I am, knowing that I'm right. like acknowledging that I'm totally depraved. I it very it got very twisted in my head. Did a lot to my uh, psychosis. <laughs> I would argue that that's not shame. Like I think people act like it is. Yeah, but like I think true shame is like debilitating. Oh. Yeah, because I feel like shame is the like the integration of those negative beliefs as an identity marker for yourself. Like you take on that. Absolutely. Right? It becomes part of a, your identity. It's not something you just performed poorly or you behaved badly in that moment. That's why I like the way Brene Brown like breaks it up between guilt and shame. Oh, sure. You know, like that. the shame is the identity marker that, I think we could rightfully claim that we are liberated from by Christ and like all of those theologies of goodness and stuff we discussed in the uh, the perfection episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck in this idea of pride and shame and humility, and I can't help but think of um, Uncle Iroh from The Last Airbender. Oh, yes. And there's a line that he says, and it's... Um, Pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. True humility mm. is the only antidote to shame. Mm. And I, I really like that. <laughs> and I, I wonder what that can look like when actually lived out. Humility is a weird one. Like I think that, like I think the people who humble brag feel like they are embodying humility. But I think that the way I've come to understand humility is like not like in a very similar way to what Jesus was talking about with like, don't go on the street corners and profess Mm -hmm. everything good that you're doing. Mm. And like, I think that people, I think in the modern day for people that looks like wrestling with their relationship with social media um, or even like thinking about like whether or not they should be vocal about supporting organizations or causes out of humility. Yeah. And I think that there's a beauty in that too. Like I, I, we've talked about this a lot, but like, I think I will be different in five years somehow. I have no idea how, Mm -hmm. but like in some way I will change and my actions will change. And like, I think that it does. I think that you like avoid some pitfalls sometimes by like not going like full in on something (laughs) that you can then look back and cringe on. We, I think we all have like our own, personal examples of those but like whether it's theology or like a certain belief or a certain practice like i think it's just so easy i don't know if it's easier now than ever but i think it is really easy to preach the gospel about a certain thing that you love or want to support like whether it's i don't know bullet journaling quiet timing or whether it's a certain personality type system or whether it's theology or a a political cause like i think it's i think it's really easy to be really gung-ho but i also think it's i I think it's hard to wrap our minds around like what it means to like have humility in the things that we care about while also like believing in them enough to like actually be living that authentically i don't know it's a hard one you're giving me a like what do i what do i tell people and what do i not tell people about what i value Oh, and how I live that out. Totally. You're giving me two thoughts. First of all, it does feel kind of C.S. Lewis. Uh, one of his more famous uh, attributions is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking 
of yourself less of like Mm -hmm. truly like uh, becoming other oriented and being less like self-interested or less self-indulgent, I guess. Um, that was my first thought. Mm -hmm. My second thought, I'm actually curious to ask you two is when it comes to humility and kind of like this idea of like, am I doing what I'm doing to broadcast the good I'm doing or how well I think I'm doing this? How do you feel about like anonymous donations to like, to churches or foundations or something like that. Because I, I can recognize that the people who choose to give like large amounts of money anonymously, like I can recognize like they may be truly trying to do the best, but also there's kind of like this edge of mystery that almost feels like they're trying to cultivate of like, Ooh, Mm, who could, mm -hmm. who could this be? You know? And it feels kind of like, to me, it's almost like you're buying yourself into a power dynamic of like, only I know I gave this much money. Sure. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt to a crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network shop, or tap the link in the show notes. Uh, 
I would say, at least like in my church context that I'm thinking of at the moment, we will share like how much has been donated, but we don't actually share specifics of who donated, even if it's anonymous or not. Mm -hmm. Because frankly, people don't need to know that. If we Mm. like we're getting our we're getting our carpet replaced beginning of October and you know, we have started a fundraiser for it and we've had people who have been donating and, mm-hmm. you know, certain people who need to know who have donated know that. And we've had anonymous donors, but the whole congregation does not need to know that Mr. Smith donated a thousand dollars to the carpet fund. You know what I mean? Because I think once you put the name or even just the name of anonymous out there, it takes away from me, at least the idea of the gift. and so. If we were to just focus on sharing the amount and just say, hey, we meet, we met our goal. Fantastic. Thank you for everyone who donated. Like, it's been tremendous. Then there isn't this speculation going on of, well, did you hear that so-and-so only donated this much? And, oh, did mm. you hear that we received this anonymous donation? I wonder who that could be. So yeah. there's ways to combat that. And it's not negating the fact that people donated, but it's also not pointing the light in the direction of, that's not the point. <laughs> like, yeah, it's treating it as a lump sum to say, like, this is what we collectively as a community did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, because I'm thinking of like, you know, the the local theater here in Billings accepts donations as a nonprofit. And like there are little tiles up on the wall in the foyer where it's like anonymous donated $10,000. And then like this specific family donated $20,000 and like. They could just share the names. Yeah. Yeah. And not the amount. Like if, exactly. Like you either do it as mm. a lump sum or don't show the money at all. Do you think that's what Jesus mm. is talking about when he says, like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Mm. I think that can be interpreted in another number of ways. Emily, I think your point is interesting um, because I still I think I still think that uh, naming that an anonymous donation happened is still better than like a person knowingly giving a huge amount of money and therefore being a like knowing like people knowing about them giving it. Oh, right. Yeah. um, And therefore be like being a person of influence, even if it's like only the, the entity that knows it was them giving it like that totally creates a power dynamic. Mm. I can see how like in certain contexts, naming the person, but not the sum wouldn't work. Like if you know that a person is well off, Mm-hmm. And their name is on there as a donor. You're like, oh, well, of course they did. Like, they can absolutely afford to give to this thing. Right. So, I don't know. But I like your point about context. You just have to read and the like, room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're at a charity event and it's primarily comprised of people who clearly are well off, then yeah, share their names because it's not going to be <laughs> like a big deal. But if it's yeah in settings like a church where it's going to be mixed income levels where I do have members of the church who are very well off, but I also have members of my church who live off food stamps and Mm -hmm. need rental assistance, but they still donate money. They don't want to be known and how much they share. (laughs) And Uh. then there are some who do want to be known, but don't want the amount shared. And then there are some who want the amount shared, but not who they are. And so it is (laughs) a very tricky thing sometimes. So yeah, yeah, you just have to read the room. I think generosity is a really interesting example with this shame and humility discussion because honestly that is what i've thought a lot about in terms of humility and like what is the 
quote unquote right amount. Like, how do I do this the right way in a way that like doesn't shift the focus to a place that I don't want it to be? Like, for instance, I give anonymously sometimes, right? And like, I like even just like in saying that, like, well, now like, we know. It like, yeah, yeah, I'm the one. <laughs> like, even that like gives a little bit of a power dynamic because like I don't want to. Because then it just like makes people wonder, like, what is it? Like, how much? To what? But like, I think in some ways, like telling people about donations or like a certain practice of generosity, and in some ways, it can be very inspiring. Like, like when you said, Emily, like, instead of saying like amounts or the people, like when we just say, if we can just say like, we met our goal, that's inspiring. Like that, or like, we're so close to the goal, like people really can feel a part of something and like they can give to something like we've seen Caleb pledge drives use this kind of psychology <laughs> for years. Like, Oh, we just got a partner from Nebraska. Like, thank you. Like we need two more in New York. And like, it makes people feel a part of it. And I think that there, I think there's kind of an art to humility. Like, a, mm, I don't know. I don't know how to put it succinctly, but I think, I think it's a little artful. I think it takes a lot of forethought to be humble and to like maintain it. I don't remember where I got this from, but I remember somebody talking about once about the self-centeredness of shame. Like it's very self-focused and mm. that I don't, I don't mean to say that and like demean people who like really struggle with like the perception of their own actions. Uh, mm-hmm. Because certainly that's a psychological wrestling to go through yeah. um, for a number of different things. But I, I think it's an interesting point that like it is, focused on the self in a lot of ways but also not to say that that's bad because like i think working on yourself is important but i think there is something there's a balance totally yeah but i i do think there's an interesting thing about humility being like try almost like trying to divorce yourself from your actions in a way that like people can appreciate something that happened and it like doesn't matter who did it you know what him just popped in my head Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. You guys know that one? I feel like I've heard that. Maybe. I don't personally. Oh no. my God. What? No. Yeah. So it's like, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and God shall lift you up, you know, higher and higher and God shall lift you up. Right. Hmm. No. Uh, no. Okay. I mean, I've heard that well, idea preached about for sure. So, okay. Yeah. What do you think about but, that? First shall be last, that- last shall be first kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, what do what do we make of that? Because I feel like even that idea of the first shall be last and the last shall be first can oftentimes be skewed too. Oh, 100%. In unhealthy ways, you know? I've totally seen that preached about, and I bought into this for a long time. I've totally seen it preached about as uh, like a way to get yourself ahead. Yes. Like yeah. the kingdom demands things of you and it will be paid back to you more than you gave whatever that amount is, like whether it's 10 times or a hundred times or like, I've totally seen people use that kind of logic to get money. <sighs> yeah. And it's convincing because yeah. it seems like it's in there. It's so sad. Really? It's true. Like, does that like, is that shameful? You know, like, or is that prideful or is it both or is it none of the above? <laughs> I think a situation like that is interesting. Cause like, I think in the moment, a lot of people feel like they are, being humble like for instance there i think the prosperity movement is a great example of this like convincing people to humbly give maybe even anonymously 
and like you feel good about doing it. Like giving to something always feels good. Like even if after the fact you realize that you didn't want to support that thing, whatever it was. Like in the moment, giving still feels good. And I think anonymous giving also feels good in a very unique way. Like it's almost like a like a Batman kind of situation. Like, oh, mm. yeah, that could have been anybody, but it was me. Mm. And this sounds so cheesy, but like I think it's totally a mindset thing. Like you can choose to be proud of your actions, like an upholding yourself kind of way, or you can be others focused in it. And like functionally, the same transaction could take place. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I really want to say it still comes down to, I think the real crux of it is that self-centered nature of all of it, right? The shame of it, the pride Mm. of it, the humility of it. Like if it is all truly self-interested and self-serving, no matter which way you slice it, like as, as long as it's about you yourself, I think you're going to have an issue. And I think that's where we're bumping into all these uh, like feeling uneasy about anon- anonymous donations or just this uneasiness around like I have to think through my actions to humble myself in order that I can make myself last so that in the future, as Christ said, I could be made first in the kingdom mm. of heaven or whatever. Like as long as it is truly so self-centered, I think we're just like completely missing the point. And I feel like that is really brought to the forefront when Jesus talks about like, I tell you the truth, like you feeding the lowest in your society or like you clothing these people, you were clothing me, you were feeding me. It's like there, there's a degree of like humility. And I almost want to use the word humiliation intentionally of like, we're choosing to humiliate ourselves and truly recognize that we are far less individual than we want to be. Like we are part of a collective and to serve the lowest of these is to like serve Christ himself as he says right and like laying down the feeling of individuation and recognizing that we are one in a body and to like serve one is to yes reap the benefits to ourselves but it really seems like an attitude of self-centeredness that draws it back to like it's it feels like scheming of like how can I make this better for myself in the future? But if you can truly like humiliate yourself enough to say, I am truly only doing this to love my neighbor. I feel like that's the attitude adjustment that is like at the core of all of this. Yeah. Do you think Jesus was humble? Hmm. I mean, he told people not to tell other people about him, which is interesting because that obviously didn't work. <laughs> Kind of backfired. You know? Yeah. Like, got him killed. I think that was, that led up to a moment, though, where he kind of revealed himself. Sure. Especially when he, you know, overturning the tables in the temple, let the rumors begin to spread of him saying, this temple will be torn down and in three days I'll rebuild it, right? And, like, that's, that's like, kind of what started that insurrectionist vibe that they latched onto to crucify him, to accuse him of such crimes. But... I feel like he was almost like waiting, I guess, for the appointed time, as people would say. I think Jesus was humble, and I I want to lean on Paul to back that up when he says, like, choosing not to hold on to he, his equivalence with the Father as, like, a badge of honor, but choosing to lower himself 
to us and even death on a cross, right? Like to like lay down that equality with the divine in order to, to like be among us. Mm. That feels so others centered in the, in that way I was talking about before, like that, that feels like he, he allowed his self to dissolve so completely into recognizing the, like the oneness of all of creation that he was just ready to dissolve into it and be a servant to whatever was needed. So I have one more question before we give final thoughts. Um, Josh, I think you were the individual in our previous episode that was talking about kind of in the last notes, uh, you know, people, there were things that people don't need to hear, like people who are narcissistic don't need to hear that they're perfect. And, and I like that idea. And so I'm curious to know, and I don't know if this is maybe a loaded question or whatever, but are there individuals who should feel shame? Like, does shame have a purpose? That's a huge question. Because I agree, mm. Josh, that it it does not help with sparking or initiating positive change or growth. But does it have a function? And if it does, are there people who should feel shame? I think outside of like people with antisocial personality disorder who like in some ways like cannot conceive of morality i think that shame does have function but that doesn't mean that that function is positive or negative necessarily Mm. but i would argue that it primarily functions with negative effects okay and i don't I i would be very hard pressed to see an example of where like someone needed shame like for something like to heal or to like make right their wrongs or I don't know. I do think that like some people could feel more remorse (laughs) for what they did. Like I think some people just like don't understand the consequences of their actions on other people. Like I think what's we haven't really touched on, like I think that all of these concepts are inherently social. Like I don't think we would feel shame or guilt or humility or pride in a vacuum. I think some people feel like they do, but like the only reason you would feel one of those things even alone is because of other things you've observed in other people. Like I'm not I'm not proud to do a good job. I wouldn't be proud to do a good job on an island in the middle of nowhere if I hadn't already seen what good work does and produces and seen other people be proud of that. Like I think it's all inherently social and I don't see any reason why shame would be necessary for anybody to have more of. Mm-hmm. I think it's a natural byproduct sometimes. Like I think it, I think it happens like much in the same way that pain happens, but I don't think that that means we need more of it. Valid. Okay. What do you think, Emily? I, I think I'm aligning with Josh and I'm coming to an understanding where just because shame does exist doesn't mean needs to be or has room in my heart or in my way of living. And so it's taking it upon myself to actively engage in a life and in a way of living and in a world where I am not creating or promoting shame and limiting the power that shame has. What about you, Stephen? I'm thinking about the Genesis 3 narrative some more and I think that the shame 
felt by Adam and Eve in the moment of being discovered naked in the garden by God. I think that was partly due to knowing that they disobeyed a directive. But I also think that it, I think the the knowledge of good and evil showed them how really small they are in a very large, scary place. And that knowledge of understanding, oh, I know I'm naked and I know that makes me feel vulnerable. And if I can see the nakedness of someone else, I know what makes them vulnerable. And that's where the moment of evil could be introduced is I know what makes me vulnerable. Therefore I know what makes you vulnerable and therefore I can exploit that for my own purposes. And that introduces the self-centeredness of, I want something you have, right? This is Cain and Abel. I, I, I want something that you have and I will go to any length to attempt to achieve that, especially exploiting your vulnerabilities, right? Knowing a rock now can like bash your head in and you will die from that. So I I think that shame was doing a lot to Adam and Eve, but I think that shame was the direct consequence of buying the lie from the serpent that they were not enough to begin with and that they needed to eat that fruit and that they needed to have the knowledge of good and evil in order to feel like they were more of a main character in the story. Like they bought the lie that this would make them equal with God and maybe God even acknowledges that, but that that's a lot of weight to put on someone. And the shame they felt was, I think they truly understood how just small they were in a very dangerous place. And that up until then, they had been kind of blissfully ignorant under the, you know, like the shadow of the mother hen's wing, right? Under God's protection or under God's like directives. So. I'll acknowledge, yes, that I think that the shame is a natural byproduct of all of this and that it does occur, but I will also agree with you two and say, like, no one should feel shame uh, because I think shame is um, shame is the consequence of buying the lies that have always been told to us about ourselves by something like the Satan or something like the accuser. I like it super theological i guess but yeah you guys went more sociological or anthropological but that's okay that's just mm-hmm. who we are mm-hmm. well thanks for raveling out this topic with me i hope i didn't make you feel ashamed or guilty of anything are there any closing thoughts i think those were pretty much it but proud to uh, have this conversation with you i'm just kidding i have no <laughs> puns left in me that's okay maybe it's for the best you're running dry, are you? What? I sure am. <laughs> All right. My drinks are gone. I'm running dry. <laughs> Sit down no, and good topic. be humble. Good topic. Honestly, good, good follow-up to our episode we did a couple ago on uh, Courtney's question about f- perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I have any... Do I have a benediction? Do you? Do I? I'm a, I'm, am I... Should I be ashamed if I don't? Should I, just <laughs> let, should I just let the words speak for themselves? I guess maybe one thing to close out is that I want to promote that Ravel, like this family that is Ravel, is one where we welcome you and not to be afraid of who you are and what you believe in. And if there are things that you are raveling out, we are right there with you. And shame has no place here. Go away. (laughs) 
Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.